Hey, welcome to the Cherry Hills podcast. During this Advent season, we're in a teaching series called Glory, where we're discovering that the glory of God, present at creation, is made visible at the incarnation. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. I just have to say, after being sick and not being able to be here in person last time, it's so great to be able to be here today and speak about God in the flesh. Thank you. One person understood that joke, right? The double meaning, did you get it? I'm here in the flesh, but we're talking about God in the flesh. Thank you. Yep. I should have gone with my other introduction, apparently. But yes, we are starting Advent. You've heard that multiple times today. Advent just means the arrival of Jesus. We celebrate his first arrival called Christmas, but we also look forward to his second arrival. And so for the next four weeks for Advent, we're gonna open up the Gospel of John together, looking just at the first 18 verses in a series that we have called Glory. Just Glory. And in this series, we are going to see that the glory of God that was present at creation has been made visible to us at the incarnation. Now, I got to say, just a little intro to John. Unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we are not going to get any of the physical details surrounding the Christmas story. In other words, there's no shepherds in John. There's no Mary in John. There's no Joseph in John. There's no wise men in John. And the reason for that is that when John tells about the arrival of Jesus, his first arrival, he wants to go behind the physical and show us the meaning of it the theological reasons behind Jesus coming. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to travel or to go into some different cathedrals around the world. We actually have two beautiful cathedrals right here in Springfield, if you've never seen them. But oftentimes, whenever the uh, stained glass artists would depict the Apostle John, they would use a picture of an eagle to depict him. Here is actually a picture of one of those stained glass windows. This is in France. I got to go there a long, long time ago. And one of the theories about why John is always depicted as an eagle is because just like an eagle is one of the few birds that can fly as high as the sun, one of the few birds that can gaze on the glory and the power and the beauty of the sun, John, as an author, takes us higher. He takes us into the very throne room of heaven so that you and I get to gaze upon the glory and the majesty of Jesus. Eagles fly to the sun. John helps us fly into the sun. And he wants us to answer this question. This is what his book is all about. It's the most important question in human history. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is he really? And if you're following in your notes, in these first 18 verses, John uncovers the full glory of who Jesus is. And the good news is he allows us to gaze upon his glory with him. And so as we journey through Advent this year, the next four weeks, we're going to look at the the glory of Jesus as the word, the glory of Jesus as the light, the glory of Jesus as the manifest presence of God, and ultimately the glory of Jesus as grace and truth. So let me invite you, if you haven't already, to take your Bible, if you brought it with you, always love if you bring your own Bible, and turn it to John chapter 1, verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, we always have Bibles in the seat underneath you there. You can find this story in those black Bibles on page 860. If you don't own a Bible or you want a Bible, please take that home with you as our gift to you. We would love for every person to have a copy of God's word. 
Now, our text today, John 1.1, starts with probably some of the most familiar words in Scripture. And I'm going to invite us to read chapter 1, verse 1, out loud together on our notes as we get going. Would you do that with me? It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we're going to pause here for quite a while. I've got five verses to cover. But this verse right here is a goldmine when it comes to looking at the glory of who Jesus is. So let's pick it apart here. The first thing John says is, in the beginning. Does that remind you of anywhere else in Scripture? Genesis 1.1. John is certainly doing this on purpose because he says, if you really want to understand the glory of who Jesus is, you got to go back to the beginning. And in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, that word beginning, we often think of it like as the beginning of a book or something like that. Really what it means is that the origin of all things, before anything else existed, what? Genesis 1.1 says what? In the beginning was, or God created, excuse me. That's the first thing Genesis says. John says, in the beginning was the word. At the very origin of existence, before anything physical ever materialized, was the Word. Now, I'm going to pause here. This is the main point of today, Jesus as the Word. And this is one of the most important concepts in the entire Bible. It's our focus today, the idea of the Word. For John, this word, Word, say that a hundred times fast, right, means two things. The first thing it means, if you're following, is that the Word is God's revelation of himself. The word, when we hear that, is God's revelation of himself. Now, as evangelical Christians mainly hear, what is the first thing when you hear the word of God that you think of? The Bible. We tend to automatically think of the Bible as God's word. And for sure it is. It's one of the ways that God reveals who he is to us. I'm so grateful that he has given us this incredible book to know him. But we also know that God reveals himself through other words, so to speak. We're told that God reveals himself in creation. You can look at creation and you can say, I see something about the creator behind this. God reveals something about himself through the way he creates this world, this beautiful world, right? You can read about that in Romans 1. We also know that God's word was proclaimed by others. In the Old Testament, God called prophets to reveal who he was to the people. In the New Testament, and even today, who does God choose to reveal himself through? Trick question. All of us. He calls us. He calls us to be proclaimers of his word, to reveal who he is to other people. But ultimately, according to John, if you're on your notes here, the word is fully revealed in Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And so listen, God reveals himself through scripture. He reveals himself through creation. He reveals himself through us speaking about him. But ultimately, we get the clearest revelation of who God is through the word who is Jesus. And what John is saying to us right away is, do you want to know what God is like? Do you want to know how God feels? Do you want to know what brings God joy? Do you want to know what makes God angry? Here you go. Look to my son, God in the flesh. We don't have to guess 
We don't have to guess about who God is. We can know who God is because he has revealed himself fully in Jesus. I love what one commentator, Frederick Bruner, says about this. You can see this on the screen. We long to know who God is and what God thinks and does. In Jesus, his most personal word, God has spoken to us in the most human way possible, giving us his innermost thoughts and heart in deeds that are as profound as his words and the believing human race has experienced deep help ever since. Now, part of the reason I'm talking about this, because I think there are so many people today, including people who have gone to church their entire lives, whose knee-jerk reaction, this was me growing up earlier in my life, growing up, right, was when I think of God and who he is, I think of him sitting up on a throne in heaven. He's got the white beard, of course, and he's disappointed in me. He's frustrated that I'm just not getting this thing right. Do you ever experience that? When you think of who God is, you think of those kind of pictures and images. And then I want you to ask yourself, is that who you see in Jesus? Because as the word, we're told, God has fully revealed himself in Jesus. We're told the reason Jesus came is quite clear. For God was so frustrated with the world that he sent his one. For God was so disappointed in the... For God so loved you that he sent his one and only son so that you could be restored into a relationship with him. God has fully revealed himself in Jesus. And I want us to understand, if you're on your notes, that the word, first of all, is a person to be known. Listen, you can know all the doctrine, all the right theology in the world, and there are a lot of people who do. But if you don't understand that Jesus is the word revealed to you as a personal relationship, you will miss it because that's who God is. But there's something else I want to say that John is talking about here with this word, word. We're going to get a little deep here for the next few minutes, but I hope it'll be worth it. In Greek, the word, word is translated, how many of you know this, right? Logos. Have you heard that before? The Logos, he is the Logos. You might have learned some about that in school. We've got Logos, Ethos, Pathos, right? Now, Logos is simply translated as reason, logic. We're talking about the reason behind everything. The Greeks love to argue about the Logos. And when they're arguing about the Logos, you have to understand what they're arguing about is, what is the meaning of life? What is your purpose? Why do you exist here? What are you living for? What is the ultimate meaning behind everything else? Or if you're following, word also means logos, which asks this question, what is the meaning of life? What's behind the thing that's behind the thing that's behind the thing, right? Now, let me give you an example. This is not gonna be the greatest example in the world, but here's a picture of the world's most expensive bicycle right now, made by Lamborghini. I'm showing you this, first of all, because Christmas is coming up, and if you really love me, (laughs) no, I'm kidding, it's a $30,000 bike. $30,000 for a bike. You don't love me that much, I know. Now, what if you went to somebody's house who owned this bike, and they were using it as a stand for their TV? 
Like, that's it. It just sat in their living room, and on top of it, there was a TV. That's what they used it for. What would you conclude? Two things. Number one, this bike is not realizing its purpose. Its purpose is to go fast. The second thing you would conclude is that the owner of the bike does not understand the logos of the bike. What is this bike for? Riding. And until you understand the logos of the bike, the reason for the bike, the meaning behind the bike, you will not understand the bike. Does this make sense? Now let's make that and talk about something much more important, you and me. The logos of life, the meaning of your life, the meaning of my life, because this is the ultimate question, right? If you've ever had to take a philosophy class, this is what it is for an entire semester. Everybody's opinion about the logos. I think, therefore I am. That's the logos for Descartes. This is what philosophy is all about. Because listen, they understand. If you could just understand and we could figure out the logos of life, the reason, the meaning behind our lives, wow, we could understand why we exist. And then we could live in conformity with that purpose and meaning. And then what would happen? We would live free. We would live meaningful lives right here and right now. Like that bike, we would figure out what our purpose is. Now today... You've experienced this if you've grown up in a Western culture. Logos has become relative. Right? That's what it means to live in a post-enlightenment time. Your meaning for life might be different than my meaning of life, and that's just okay. We might all have different logoses or truths. Truth is relative. Yours and mine might be different, but man, step back from that. What an incredibly sad way to live to say, my life really has no ultimate meaning or purpose, because that's what it says. What that means is we are simply accidents of evolution. Some of you know the philosophy that this is named is called nihilism. There is no meaning. There is no purpose. If you've ever read Ecclesiastes, written by King Solomon, this is what he believed for a season in his life, right? He's famous for saying, meaningless, Everything is meaningless. There is no logos. So you might as well, see if this sounds familiar to today, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. This is essentially the logos of the middle, excuse me, of the modern West. But John starts this whole book by saying, no, there's something more. If you're following, he argues Jesus is the logos of life. And in him, you can find meaning and purpose. In the beginning, at the origin of all things, the reason and meaning for life was already there. And he created you and he created me to find our purpose in him. In the beginning was the word. Now, John wants to reveal a few more things for us about the word. So where were we? In the beginning was the word. And what does it say next? And the word was with God and the word was God. 
Do you realize we are getting two of the main doctrines of the Christian faith right here in one verse, right? I told you, we are gazing on the glory of God right now. Thank you, John. First, we see John saying, and the word was with God and was God. What is he saying here? Pretty clearly, if you're following on your notes, as the word, Jesus is God. Here, at the beginning, at the origin of all things, guess who was there? Jesus. And so that means the word of God is uncreated. And who is the only being that is uncreated? This is softball. God, thank you. And so what does that mean about Jesus? He is God. I just had a, a friend recently, uh, we were walking down the hall, the hall here at church and they said something along the lines like, I just wish the Bible would come out and say Jesus is God. I'm like, oh, here you go. Here we go, right? You know, interestingly, if you've ever talked to a Jehovah's Witness, they translate this verse differently. They would say Jesus is a God. Because they argue in the Greek language, there is no definite article. I'm sorry to bring up grammar in English to some of you. But a definite article, it should have said, they say, right, Jesus was the God. The. There's no the there. But to make a long debate very short, if you have your own Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn to same chapter, chapter 1, verse 49 of John 1. Do you guys see there where it says, you are the king of Israel? Circle that word, the. Because it's not there in the Greek language. But everybody agrees, including Mormons, including Jehovah's Witnesses, that that is how that sentence should be structured. And it's the same way John 1, 1 is structured. In other words, everybody agrees, scholars agree, that if John had wanted to call Jesus a God, a lowercase God, he would have used different Greek structure. You guys with me? So we can be confident. We can be confident what John is saying here. Jesus, the word at the beginning, with God, as God. Some of you know my dad was a New Testament professor and Whenever we would have Jehovah Witnesses come and knock on our door, you know, they'd want to talk, he would invite them in, he'd pull out his Greek New Testament, and they would leave. <laughs> right? I mean, they weren't equipped to have these kinds of arguments, but I just want us to be confident here. Jesus is the Word, and as the Word, he was with God, as God, in the beginning. Now, the second doctrine, I just said it there, he was with God, huh? How can it be God and with God? Well, that's the second doctrine we are looking at. It is called the Trinity, right? That our God, the Christian God, is one God in three persons. We sang about it, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If you're following as the Word, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Now, this is a very simple concept for us. To, no, I'm kidding. Like, I, it's, a, it's not a mystery but it's a hard thing for some people to come to grasp with. In fact, this is where other religions would simply call us blasphemous, right? They think we are saying there's three gods. That would be true of the Muslims, that would be true of the Jews, it'd be true of the Mormons. This is a difficult concept to digest, and yet, it's one of the most beautiful realities of who our God is, in my opinion, that he is Father, Son, and Spirit. If you want an answer to that question, I'd invite you to take Luke's theology class. He might not give you the answer, actually. 
but at least we can understand a little bit more depth behind it. I talk about this in my history class as well. I can't get into the debate today, but I'm gonna agree with what Tim Keller says about this. I love this quote. He says, this particular view of God is our only hope. Because this tells us that the real God, our God, is exploding with love and relationship in his own inner being. In essence, in his essence is interpersonal communication. What we have here is an insight that beggars the intelligence because John is talking about what the nature of God was before creation. Can I translate that? The beauty of the Trinity is that at the beginning, at the origin of all things, God existed in a relationship and he created us to become a part of that relationship with him. The third thing we learn about Jesus as the word is found in verse three. Could you read that out loud on your notes with me there? It says, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. If you're following as the word, Jesus is the author of creation. In the beginning was the word. What did he do there in the beginning? He spoke and creation came into existence. I love how Paul writes about this in Colossians chapter one. The son is the exact representation, that's the word there, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Who made everything? Easy again. Jesus, yep. The word made everything. Who is the word? Jesus is the word. Where is Jesus? In the beginning with God. Who is Jesus? Good. Should I do that again? I think you got it, right? And what that means is if you have friends and you're talking about Jesus with them and they say something to you like, oh, I believe Jesus is a good moral teacher or I believe Jesus has a good philosophy of life, you have to say to them, well, actually, he's a horrible moral teacher if it's not also true that he's the word, if it's not also true that he's God. Because the claims he makes about himself are immoral if it's not true. He would say, before Abraham was, I am. It's what got him killed. The Jewish leaders did not like that he was calling himself God. I am the word who created everything. I am the Logos. If he is not, he's just another failed religious leader. And we're all really dumb for being here right now. But in the beginning, we're told, was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And that leads us to the final thing today we discover about Jesus as the word. If, look at verses four and five with me there. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now next week, Jeff is gonna go deeper into what it means that Jesus is the light. But today I just wanna point out one thing here. Did you notice one little thing in those verses? As the word, it says Jesus is the author, not just of creation, but of eternal and abundant life. He's talked about creation, now he's talking about spiritual things, spiritual life. He is the author of your meaning and your purpose. Here's the story of a Bible in a nutshell, right? In the beginning was the word, and then he created you and me. 
to be in a relationship with him. Amazing. But just like Adam and Eve did, do, what we do here is we seek other logoses. We turn our back on him as our logos. We seek other logoses, other reasons, other meanings for life, and we pick those off of the tree. And we say, this is what I'm gonna build my life around. And this is called sin. And sin didn't just bring physical death with it. It brought a spiritual death with it. The reason you were created to be in communion with God was broken at that moment. Paul puts it in an extreme language in Ephesians 2, verse 1. As for you, you were what? In your transgressions and sins. I mean, not just like a little dead, right? Not just hurting, not just wounded. We were dead. No hope. No hope at all. And yet, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word came in the flesh to seek us back to call us back to our true meaning and our true purpose. He writes three verses later in Ephesians, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. He did that as we just learned in our Gospel of Mark study that finished last week. I am so sad we're finished with Mark. But we just learned that, right? He was crucified, taking your place, becoming dead. And then he was raised to life so that we may once again be restored how we were originally designed to find our purpose and meaning in him. He brought us back from the dead. Now you may be asking at this point, so what? Who cares? What does it mean to me right here, right now in 2023 that Jesus is the Logos? I'm gonna close with two things for you to consider. I'm just laying these out here. Do with them what you would want. But if Jesus is the word, if you're following on your notes, the Logos, the meaning for existence, it makes sense that we should center our lives around him, right? Look, Jesus created all things, according to John and Colossians, by and for himself. So let me ask you, who created you? Why? So that you might know him, right? You were created by Jesus for Jesus, which is the reason John is making this point. The only place you're going to find real life is in Jesus. Because just like that Lamborghini bike, was created to ride and not be sitting there as a TV stand, you were created to do life with him. If you're following, I have been made for Jesus by Jesus. I love how one commentator put it. This is such an awesome quote. He said, if you could get a microscope, and you could see underneath everything in creation, if you could see past the atoms and past the particles inside the atoms, if you could get as deep as you could, you might just, using our divine imagination, see this tiny little inscription that said, made by Jesus Christ. (laughs) If you could get past the molecules and the atoms and the dark matter or whatever, if you could just get deep enough, you'd see this tiny little inscription made by Jesus Christ. And he closes by saying, that includes you and that includes me. We have an inscription on our hearts made by Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ. And so listen, if that is true, it makes sense why Peggy, my wife, 
as wonderful and amazing as she is, will never be for me what I most deeply need. Because I have not been made by Peggy for Peggy. That's weird. That would be weird, right? I've been made by Jesus for Jesus. And so it's only in Jesus that I can find my true meaning. This means when you get that job that you love, you might have a great job right now. You might have one you hate. But ultimately, your job will never bring you full satisfaction because you were not made by your job for your job. This means as awesome as your kids are, and we have two awesome kids, they were, will ultimately never find my meaning through them because I was not made by them for them. What are the things that people seek today to find meaning? What are the logoses out there today? Sex. You have not been made by sex for sex, so you will not find ultimate meaning in sex. Money, fame, success. I can name tons of things that we try to pursue believing this is where I'm gonna find meaning. And they will ultimately all leave us empty because we were made by Jesus for Jesus, and therefore we can only find life in Jesus. He is my logos. If you still don't believe me, just think. Think about when you got that promotion or when you graduated from high school, when you got your first job, when you got your first house, when you got married, when you had your first child, when you started earning the kind of money where you were like, yeah, this is what I expected. How long does it last, that satisfaction? Still, are you still running on that fuel today? That high school diploma? No. They don't last. They don't give us meaning. Because we were not made by those things for those things. Listen, even if you were so generous, you bought me that bike. Five years from now, I'd be like, meh, it's time for something else. I would enjoy it. I would thank God for it. But if I think that's going to bring me meaning, it won't. It'll leave me empty. They always will leave holes in our lives, everything we pursue apart from Jesus. Because we've been created by him and for him alone. C.S. Lewis says it the best. You've probably seen this quote maybe. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Right? You were. You were made by Jesus for Jesus. And if you're following, nothing outside of the divine logos can give us meaning. Some of you have tried this and you've found that it's true. Can I get an amen? You've pursued other stuff and it's just empty. Some of you are sitting right here. I'm thinking especially of you younger folks. I still want to try it. I still think I might be able to find meaning and purpose in those kinds of things. Go for it. But when it leaves you empty, just remember the reason it leaves you empty is because you were not made for that. You were made by Jesus for Jesus. Now, if you're here right now, you're going, okay, yep, I'm intrigued. I can understand that those things uh, don't really satisfy, that I can't find true life apart from him. Here's the second step we must all take. If Jesus is the word, we must submit to his way of life. I'm gonna put this as simply as I can. 
It is not enough for us to sit here today and go, okay, I believe Jesus is the Logos, and just end it there. Even demons believe in Jesus, we're told. Now, you got to take one more step. Jesus is the Logos, and therefore, I'm going to submit my life to him and to what he says about life. I just want to be clear. Christianity is not about just believing some intellectual truths about Jesus, about God. It's not just about knowing all the right doctrines and all the right theology about who God is. It's about knowing a person and then living your life how that person tells you to live it. I love how Dallas Willard defines faith. He defines it this way. We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe that we believe it. I love that. We believe something when we act as if it were true. And so what that means, if you're here today, you go, you know what? I do believe Jesus is my logos. Great. Then we look at the word. We look at his words and we say, I'm going to align my life according to that. I'm going to believe what he says is true, is the best way of life. So what that means is, how are you going to decide right now, right here, how to use your sexuality? Are you going to say, nobody has the right to tell me what to do with my body except me? Or are you going to say, I was made by Jesus, for Jesus, and Jesus has some stuff to say about this, and so I'm going to align myself according to that, believing that that really is the most beneficial, joyful abundant life possible. Too many people just want a ticket to heaven, right? Oh, I believed in Jesus when I was seven and I walked up. Faith is acting on what we believe. How are you gonna use your money? How are you gonna use your career, your hobbies, your relationships? How are you gonna use that technology, right? If you're following on your notes here, unless he is your logos, as Willard defined it, you will never realize your true purpose. Jesus once said, if you love me, if you trust me as your logos, keep my commands. Not because I'm up in heaven on my throne, disappointed and frustrated, but because I'm up on heaven now at the right hand of the Father, giving you the pathway to the most joyful life possible. I know many of us are in different places this room. I, I can see it in your faces. Some of us are here today and you're like, yeah, that's the Jesus I know. That's the life I'm living. He is my logos. But let's just be real here. Others of us are here and we've gone to church our whole lives and we're sort of like, oh, he's a part of my life. But he's kind of in the back seat. He's kind of my backseat driver. I've stopped letting him be the logos of my life because I'm pursuing this other thing right now. Maybe some of us are here today and you have been so hurt by something in your life, you think a good God could never do that. And so you've just sort of stopped pursuing him. Others of us, let's be real, we just find ourselves in apathy right now. This sounds good, but I've got this thing going on. And then let's be real, right? Others of us still believe the pleasures of this world will be enough for now. I can make you this promise. Everything you just bought on Good Friday, or Good Friday, Black Friday, it's not gonna satisfy. Even the people you gave it to, it will not satisfy. Now, I have no power in myself to convince you of this, but try it, and you will find it'll leave you empty. And so I'm just gonna leave you with an invitation I believe Jesus is giving you right now. Will I give my life fully to the word of life 
this Advent? Would you let him inscribe his initials on your heart today? Made by, made for Jesus Christ. Believing, stepping out in faith that nothing else will satisfy except union with him. Do you remember his promise? It's my verse, my life verse that I quote the most. I have come as God in the flesh so you may have life. Not just a ticket to heaven. The last part of it, eternal life. I have come that you may have life, life to the full. That is his desire for you today. And if you'd like to receive that life, would you bow your head and pray with me right now? Lord, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And yet this word did not stay there, did not stay in heaven. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us in order to restore us and to bring us life. Yes, eternal life after the grave, but the best life right here and right now. And if there's anybody here today who knows they've been pursuing life elsewhere, meaning and purpose from other things, and they are ready to come to you, would they just pray, Lord, I turn my back on those things. And I come to you, trusting and believing and ready to act that you are the life, that you are the logos, the only thing that can bring me meaning and purpose. And as they do that, I pray they could have a confidence that even now you are inscribing your initials on their heart, made by and made for Jesus Christ. Lord, for those of us who have done that, we just confess to you, every day, every single day, we are tempted to pursue other logos, other things to try to find our meaning and our purpose. I confess that to you. And yet you are not frustrated with me or disappointed with me. Like the father in Luke 15 of the prodigal son, even now your arms are wide open to us. So as we confess, we run into your arms and we say to you again, you alone can give me life, life to the full. Now, Lord, as we celebrate communion, reminded of how much it cost you to bring us purpose and meaning and life. And we are a thankful people. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like more info on our church, you can visit our website or find us on Facebook.